you're seeking biblical wisdom and understanding in these difficult and trying times, and you recognize the power of God's Word to delve deep into the issues of the heart, then welcome to Biblical Counseling Today with Dr. John Kwasney, husband, father, counselor, author, and teacher. Join us for Christ-centered, gospel-driven truth concerning our individual, marital, and parenting struggles. This is Biblical Counseling Today. We human beings tend to absorb things from other cultures very easily. When I lived in Australia for almost a year, I came home with a semblance of an Aussie accent. I had all sorts of new words in my repertoire that popped up in daily conversations. Now, it didn't take too long for me to lose that accent and those words as I reabsorbed my familiar American Midwest dialect. As humans, we are constantly absorbing the culture we live in. The words we use are just one of many examples. No one had to teach me an Australian accent or tell me I had to use new words. I just soaked up what I lived with every day. So as we live in this world's culture day in and day out, we will inevitably absorb words and speech patterns, as well as attitudes, habits, and practices. This is how we learn and develop as people. The question is, as Christians, are we consciously and purposely sifting out those cultural norms that are against God's word, that are harmful to our souls, that will only make us more like the world and less like Christ? Do we actively listen to what we are saying? Do we examine our thoughts and attitudes? I think this is part of what the Apostle Paul refers to as the process of renewing our minds. Christians have been given new hearts when we are converted and redeemed by Christ. Our new hearts must then exert spirit-led influence on our fallen minds. Having our minds made new will be impeded if we simply keep on absorbing the world's culture that is all around us, if we continue to see things the way the world sees it. We are to be constantly questioning what we hear and see and learn. Is this true? Is this right? Is this according to God's word and God's ways? Is this the way a Christian thinks, acts, etc.? We will never catch everything with our gospel filter. Some things do slip through. We all have particular blind spots that are hard to catch. But growing in grace means that we will have maturing minds that think differently than the world does on just about everything. So as we continue with this season of all things culture, I want us to think about how we are tempted to absorb the culture of fear and anxiety. I submit to you that worldly culture has always been driven by sinful fear and sinful anxiety, but it can be argued we are presently at a new level in the last few years, especially in America. Anxiety is no longer abnormal or a disorder or, of course, not sinful. It's just the way it is. We are given a pass for being anxious people, unless, of course, it gets too extreme. We moderns have more fear, more to worry about than any other time in history, right? Well, not really, but you would think we do. So let's jump in today and dig down deep to see how we can engage this present culture of fear and anxiety.
If you're a regular listener of this podcast, you know that I've already tackled the issue of anxiety way back in season one. I probably will repeat some of the things I said there. But my focus here is not about helping someone who is struggling with an anxiety disorder, but with the broader issue of an anxious culture that we are all absorbing. So let's start with this statement. Anxiety is normal. Is this a true statement? I think it is. I'm sure I've said it to thousands of people over the last 30 years. But this must lead us to some very important questions. Let's start with this one. Why is anxiety normal? A typical answer from the psychological experts is something like what I found in the Harvard Health blog. Anxiety is your body's natural threat system. When your brain believes you are in danger, it sends out a series of signals to your body, resulting in a flight or fight response. So, according to this, anxiety is normal because that is the way humans are wired. This actually makes anxiety more than normal. Anxiety is good, important, healthy, and helpful. Here's the way another psychologist puts it. Anxiety is normal. Everyone experiences anxiety from time to time. It alerts us to threats, protects us from danger, and helps us reach important goals. For example, it is normal to feel anxious when encountering a bear on a hike or before taking an important exam. Well, the messaging in our culture is that anxiety is just part of our wiring. It is what helps us run away from bears or study for a test. Anxiety is normal and anxiety is good. Unless, of course, it gets to be way too much. We'll get to that question later. So let me address this understanding of anxiety as normal and good by saying what I say a lot. Words mean things. We must be very careful with our words and terms since they can lead us either to truth or to falsehood. Yes, we have been created with an ability to recognize something as a danger or a problem and respond with either fight, flight, or freeze up. But this is not anxiety. This is fear. We are fearful that the bear may eat us. We are fearful that we may fail the exam. Fear is normal and can be helpful. But fear can also turn sinful. What it can lead to is sinful worry and anxiety. So while we're tempted often to interchange the words fear and anxiety, it is so essential to keep these things distinct. Another way this understanding of anxiety as normal is wrong is that it is reductionistic. It makes anxiety just a function of brain wiring, of synapses, of hormones and chemicals. It absolutely leaves out the heart. It also leaves out God. It makes anxiety as only a physiological thing and not a spiritual thing. Okay, so let's get to a better answer and a better understanding for why anxiety is normal. And here it is. Anxiety is normal because all people become anxious about something at some time or another. So it's normal because it is the norm. It is human to be anxious. But that leads to another essential question. Is anxiety normal because God created us as anxious beings? 
there are Christian mental health experts who propose this view. They take the fact that we're all prone to anxiety as meaning that this is just God's design for humanity. Well, here's how I would refute that thinking. First, were Adam and Eve anxious before they sinned? We don't have any biblical record of it, so we can't know for sure. But the way the narrative in Genesis is written leads us to believe that our first parents were always at peace with each other and with God. What we do know is they became anxious after they sinned. And here's a second point. Is God ever anxious? If we humans are made in the image of God, is this part of his character? We have no evidence of God ever being anxious. What would God have to be worried about anyway? And then third, was Jesus, while he was on earth, ever anxious? Some would point to the Garden of Gethsemane, and they say that Jesus was anxious about going to the cross. The ESV describes Jesus as sorrowful and troubled. Jesus was certainly burdened with grief as he contemplated carrying our burdens on the cross and being killed for our sin. But is being troubled the same as anxious? I don't think Jesus was filled with anxiety. I don't think Jesus was worried. As perfect God and man, he certainly was literally carrying the weight of the world on his shoulders. But again, was he anxious? I don't think so. Anxiety is simply part of life for the fallen person in a fallen world. This fallen world gives us many temptations to be anxious. As a sinful person, it is normal for us to be anxious. But normal in this sense means it is still sinful. The biblical logic is that humans are anxious because we are sinners. Our sinful hearts and minds promote anxiety. That's why all people can be anxious at one time or another, or all the time in everything. When our starting place is that anxiety is sinful, then we have the responsibility in Christ to not be anxious and the ability to not be anxious because of the work of peace in our life by the Holy Spirit. When our starting place is that anxiety is just a part of our wiring, is good and helpful, then we are either not able to change it or we are only responsible to change it when the anxiety becomes a problem. So this leads me to another question. It is understandable that non-Christians don't think of anxiety as sinful, but why are many Christians adverse to this truth? Well, the simple answer is that they have absorbed the psychological view of anxiety rather than accepting a biblical view. But that sounds a bit judgmental, doesn't it? Well, I think there are other reasons, too. First, anxiety as sin sounds harsh, mean, unkind to the person who is anxious. But this is the problem with calling anything sin, right? It always sounds mean and unkind. Secondly, anxiety often feels like something I can't help. Calling it sin seems to imply that we are making a sinful decision to be anxious when it's just a reaction to a situation sort of like a reflex. Third, how can we help someone with anxiety when we point a finger at them and declare them to be sinners? Well, if you've been a longtime listener of this podcast, hopefully you know my answers before I say them. 
First, to call something sin is to agree with God. He is the one who determines what is good and bad, what is right or wrong. It's not mean. It's true. Second, calling something a sin doesn't always mean we are making conscious decisions to sin. Our hearts are sinful. Our thoughts are sinful. Our desires are sinful. We respond with sinful anxiety because of many sinful heart reasons. Anxiety is natural to us because sin is natural to us. We have sin natures. Third, the only way to help someone with anxiety is by starting with it as a sin. Christians cannot sin. Christians can change. Christians grow in sanctification. Christians are to be more and more like Christ. Since he was never anxious, we can grow to that standard even if we will never achieve it. Calling anxiety sinful does not mean we are condemning people for normal responses. We are not telling them to not run away from a bear in the woods or not study for an exam. We are teaching them simply not to be anxious even in fearful situations. Christians are called to peace, not to have anxious hearts and anxious minds. So my first principle in dealing with a culture of fear and anxiety is to recognize, know, and understand that anxiety is a sin. The culture says we live in a world that gives us many reasons to be anxious. Anxiety is a normal human response to all these troubling things. Unless, of course, it becomes too much and we label it a disorder. The Christian says, yes, we live in a fallen world that gives us many reasons to become anxious. As a sinner, I am tempted to be anxious. But as a follower of Jesus, filled with the Holy Spirit, I am to move from anxiety to peace. This is what we teach our anxious children. We need to produce homes filled with peace, not homes filled with anxiety. So let's use several examples to talk about how to attack this culture of fear and anxiety and not absorb it into our lives. First, your child or teenager has a big school test. We all want our children to do well on tests and exams, but do we ever encourage them to be anxious over them? Well, here is counsel from a Christian child therapist who says, anxiety can be a healthy and helpful force in our lives. Let's normalize it for kids. Worrying about the big exam motivates a child to study. Now, I'm sorry, but this is sad and wrong on several levels. First, we must never accept anxiety as healthy and helpful. If she means fear, then use the word fear. But all anxiety is sinful, so how is that ever healthy or helpful? Second, you hear the impulse to normalize anxiety. That means making it a good thing, something we can't help. No, we must teach our children that it's wrong to be anxious, that God commands them to be anxious for nothing. Third, anxiety as motivation is only a potential destructive force in our lives. As I said earlier, having some level of fear of doing poorly on a test is normal, but we teach our children to not give in to fear, but to walk in faith. 
There are just so many better sources of motivation for the Christian when it comes to doing well on a school test. Love for God, for one. Desire to learn. Wanting to work hard to obey God. Wanting to show how much I do know about a subject. Anxiety as a motivator will produce other sins. Lack of physical health. Potentially cheating. People-pleasing. Depression anger, and bitterness when I fail, and the list goes on. Test anxiety is a real problem, not to be a normal motivation. For the Christian, we are to trust God and rest in him, even for a test. Well, here's a second example. Your child trying something new for the first time. Here again is advice from the same Christian therapist. Going to a sleepaway camp for the first time is a big step. Trying new things can be scary, and it's appropriate to feel nervous. Now, she's changing up the language here a bit, using words like scary and nervous as synonymous with anxiety. Yes, of course new things can be scary for children and for us as adults, too. But they're often also exciting. I think we live in a culture today that seems to emphasize things as frightening instead of as new challenges or even wonderful opportunities. So is it appropriate for our child to be nervous? If we mean to be a little bit apprehensive, sure. But when is nervousness actually sinful anxiety? Well, that often has to do with the words our children are saying, the thoughts they are thinking, and the actions they are taking. If they only have concerns which are easily answered, then they are not sinfully anxious. But if they are a bundle of concerns, they must learn to repent of that sinful anxiety. When children are anxious, we often want to remove the source of their anxiety. So it becomes easier to say, hey, you don't have to go to camp next year if you're anxious. We'll try another year. Does this really help your child or does it give in to a culture of anxiety? I was an anxious kid, and believe me, I got out of a whole lot of things because of it. Did that make me a better person or solve my problem of anxiety? You can ask my wife if you really don't know the answer. Third, your child is afraid of the dark or bad weather or other things. Again, we're told by the experts that it's normal for children to be afraid of the dark or of thunderstorms or the boogeyman living under the bed. But just because so many children have these fears doesn't make them less sinful. It's actually because we are sinners, just like Adam and Eve, that we can find reasons to be afraid of anything and everything. Adam and Eve were suddenly afraid of being naked after being naked for a long time. When our children become afraid, we must tell them that it is wrong to fear the dark. That it's not trusting God to take care of them. It is trying to be in control of something that they can't control. The problem with psychological advice is they start with all this being normal, but then they give us ways to detect if it's actually become a problem. Here's how our same Christian therapist puts it. One important factor in determining the difference between run-of-the-mill worry and clinical anxiety is intensity. When a child's reaction is much stronger and larger than the source or incident, it is likely that you're dealing with more than a case of the worries. 
as I'm working with kids and teens, I'm looking for intensity and interference, specifically the intensity of a child's reaction and if it's within a range that is tolerable. Secondly, I am curious about how much anxiety is interfering with the rhythms of your home and her life. Interference is a big factor. When I meet with parents who are seeking help for their child, I often want to know how this disrupts their lives. When anxiety keeps us from doing what we want or should do, playing the sports she loves or attending events he has enjoyed in the past, it's a clear sign that your child needs extra support in overcoming anxiety. Well, now I don't disagree that anxiety is a real big problem when it becomes more intense and interferes with daily activities. But this rationale is sort of like saying lying sometimes is okay and normal, but lying intensely and lies that interfere with relationships, that's a problem. Calling worry run-of-the-mill is negating that it is sinful even if it happens once in a while. Calling anxiety only a problem when it interferes with family life or keeps me from doing something, yet again, misses the fact that anxiety is always a problem. Should we only seek help with our anxiety when it's out of hand? We give in to the culture of fear and anxiety when we only recognize that some people have an anxiety problem, but not me. That gives me permission to be anxious as long as it doesn't happen too much. In this way, we are not starting from God's perspective, but from ours. Here's a fourth example, anxiety in our children's relationships or friendships. I've already addressed social anxiety in another podcast. Relationships in a fallen world, sinners relating to other sinners can tempt people to worry. The culture of fear and anxiety only teaches separation and isolation when a relationship becomes scary. It builds walls. It produces boundaries. It tells us to give into our fears and anxieties and get rid of that toxic relationship. Now, do our relationships and friendships need wisdom? Absolutely. Are there times we end up divorcing a spouse biblically or walking away from a destructive relationship? Certainly. But the norm of kingdom culture is reconciliation. It is peacemaking. It is reforming our relationships. It is pursuing people. Being anxious in relationships is often a sign of an idol of the heart, the idol of being a people pleaser, the idol of ease and comfort, the idol of being a victim. Again, the culture of fear and anxiety only ends in isolation. It says that it's safer to be alone and apart from others. People will just hurt you. People are problems. Just love yourself and be happy. This thinking only leads to more anxiety. Here's one more example, COVID anxiety in children. Now, I don't want to spend a lot of time here because you've heard more than enough about this pandemic. When something has the hashtag be safe attached to it, it has become an idol. This world has been lectured and harassed for nearly two years of how to stay safe and avoid dying from COVID-19. The world says it's just been sharing the science. But that science has been in a context of fear and anxiety. And this pandemic has advanced the lie of the culture of fear and anxiety to the nth degree. It has been a wildly successful effort. You know what has been communicated. 
messages that have evoked fear of dying or killing someone you love. So what have you communicated in your home? Fear or faith? Anxiety or peace? Most likely, if you're like me, some of both. Is God in control of this pandemic or not? Has God numbered your days on the earth or are you in control of that? Remember that anxiety occurs as you try to control what you can't control. We've had no control over COVID, whether or not scientists, doctors, and politicians try to convince us otherwise. All we can control is our response to this virus. It certainly has been sad and grievous to witness all the sickness and death, but we must repent of our anxieties and learn to trust God in trials like this. We all must grow in that. Yes, there have been plenty of wise and foolish choices in the midst of this pandemic. But what God is looking at it always is our hearts. Were choices made by faith or fear, by sound thinking or with an anxious heart? I'm going to end this podcast by interacting with a few more of the typical messages this culture of fear and anxiety is wanting you to absorb and believe. Here's a quote. Anxiety is not dangerous. Although anxiety feels uncomfortable, it is temporary and will eventually decrease. The sensations we experience in an anxious situation are designed to alert and activate us. They are normal and part of our body's natural response mechanism. Our body is smart enough to know when to amp up and when to calm down. Okay, maybe anxiety isn't dangerous in the sense that it won't kill you, yet it is dangerous to our souls. It does chip away at our trust in the Lord, and it is dangerous to relationships. Again, saying it's just a normal part of your body's natural report mechanism is understating. It's reductionistic. It's soulless. There's no connection here to our relationship to God. And it's just not true that the body is smart enough to know when to amp up or calm down. When you continue to give in to anxiety, you will short-circuit your normal responses. And there are many syndromes and disorders and diseases that override your natural system and crank up the anxiety as well. Well, here's another quote. Anxiety is adaptive. Anxiety helps us prepare for real danger, such as crossing a busy street. It can also help us perform at our best and motivate us to study for an exam or practice for a big game. When we experience anxiety, it triggers our fight-flight-freeze response and prepares our body to react. For instance, our hearts beat faster to pump blood to our muscles so we have the energy to run away or fight off danger. Without it, we would not survive. We need some anxiety. Again, another quote where we see the confusion between a good fear response and sinful anxiety. Anxiety does not help us perform our best. Most of the time, it takes away from what we're trying to do. Yes, without healthy fear, we would not survive. We would burn our hand on the stove. We'd be killed by the bear. But... Could we survive without anxiety? Yes. The notion that we need some anxiety again shows that the only problem is when we have too much of it. 
But when we understand it as a sinful response, no anxiety is what we're striving for. One last quote from this Anxiety 101 blog. Anxiety is a part of life. Trying to eliminate anxiety from your child's life is almost impossible. And even if it were possible, we are not sure you will have created a life worth living for your child. Since anxiety is everywhere, one of the greatest gifts you can give your anxious child or teen is the confidence and skill to tolerate anxiety whenever it occurs and to continue living his or her life anyway. Okay, yes, anxiety is a part of life since we are sinners living in a fallen world. And yes, seeking to eliminate anxiety from our lives is almost impossible, actually totally impossible without the fruit of the Spirit at work in us. But I honestly have no idea what this mental health expert says when he writes that if we eliminated anxiety from the lives of our children, we would create a life not worth living. I think it's the exact opposite. If no child was anxious in his life or no adult, what a world it would be. Echoing the culture of fear and anxiety, this author just says it's the way it is. You will be anxious. The trick is to live your life anyway. Just deal with it. I hear no hope here. No hope to truly respond biblically to anxious situations or to really change our anxious hearts and anxious minds. No, according to them, we are just supposed to tolerate anxiety whenever it occurs. Hopefully, this is not what we want in our Christian homes. The kingdom of God, according to Jesus, is not about anxiety and fear. It is about peace and joy. It is focused on trusting the sovereign, loving providence of God, of enjoying him forever, of not focusing on the day-to-day anxieties that are really meaningless. What we want to promote in our homes are cultures of peace and rest, of being honest about our anxieties, confessing them, and getting help from others to think biblically. Instead of striving for more control, we need to rest in God's control. This is the new normal we should be seeking, his kingdom and his righteousness, rather than simply giving in to a fear and anxiety culture. Thank you for listening to Biblical Counseling Today with Dr. John Kwasney. This weekly podcast is supported by Biblical Counseling and Training Ministries, which you can learn more about at bctministries.com. If you have found yourself encouraged or challenged today, please share this podcast with your church, family, and friends. Rate us on iTunes and your social media outlets. It really helps. Until next time, may you enjoy the riches of God's compassionate grace and mercy in your life.